Welcome to the Kintsugi Hope podcast. It's great to have you with us. We are joined by some amazing speakers and experts who have experienced, like all of us, life's ups and downs. If you want to find out more about Kintsugi Hope, then please do head to the website kintsugihope.com. Hello and welcome to the Kintsugi Hope podcast. Um, with me, Rachel Newham, I'm the Mental Health Friendly Church Project Manager um, and we have Cassius Francis uh, with us from Loss and Hope. And um, today we're talking about the truth about loss, the truth about loss and bereavement and grief and how we can kind of best, I guess, navigate these waters with our faith um, and understand that the the breadth, I guess, and depth of those terms when I think sometimes we have quite a shallow understanding of it. Um, and I'm so delighted that Cassius is joining us. Um, um, Cassius, would you be able to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about the work of, of Lost and Hope? Yeah, sure. Hi, uh, Rachel and everyone who's who's listening. It's, it's great to have this opportunity. My name is Reverend Cassius Francis. I am a Brummie, a very proud Brummie. Um, and a minister in the Wesleyan Holiness Church um, and uh, really just delighted to have this opportunity to talk more about bereavement and mm. grief in particular. Um, the work that I do through Loss and Hope, uh, which is a Christian project uh, based in um, a, a larger charity called Atalos that essentially provides uh, bereavement support and signposting to anyone in the UK and uh, has been or oh, running for, gosh, it must be about 20 years or so now. Um, and, and my role within, within Loss and Hope, the Christian project, is essentially to work on uh, training churches and resourcing them to support bereaved people. Um, and often people will say, well, you know, why do churches need that kind of training and, and resources when we might be doing funerals, you know, all of the time? Um, uh, and my experience is that actually the, uh, the help, the most help that's needed is, is after the funeral. Yeah. And so we can learn a lot to journey uh, with people uh, beyond the funeral and, and just help to support them. Uh, in that uh, in in that grief that they uh, may be experiencing. Yeah, and I think it's it's such important work because you're right. I think it's almost like actually the the time after the funeral is when the work of grief starts, isn't it? Um, we so I think so much of of that kind of that time between um, death and and a funeral is 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 admin. <laughs> it's it's. Yeah survival mode it's getting through um and I certainly didn't realize until um my my, my grandparents died and and just the sheer amount of of admin um, yeah. that that death and loss involves um when you're kind of least equipped to, to cope with it really yeah there is uh, a, a lot of as you rightly said um busyness whether it's admin preparing for uh, the funeral um mm. uh, culturally also, you know, lots of people who may be visiting, that's certainly my experience from an African-Caribbean perspective. You know, lots of people visiting um, the home, lots of people wanting to express their condolences and 
Um, you know, so the, the lead up to the funeral can be particularly difficult and, and busy. Yeah. Um, but often what we hear from people is actually it, after the door is closed, after the funeral and the house is quiet, that that's the, the difficult time. Um, and so, yeah, just, just being able to uh, talk to and equip churches. We run a, um, a, a training session called Bereavement Friendly Church, and that's essentially for church leaders to get all of the basic information uh, yeah. around the kind of things to think about on an ongoing basis to support bereaved people. Um, but yeah, lot, lots of peer, uh, people will uh, express similar to what to what you've said, Rachel, in, you know, in um, uh, recognising that, you know, after the funeral is, is the time when they really need the support. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and I guess one of one of the big questions I think is, is what is the difference between grief and bereavement? Because I think those those two words are used interchangeably so often. Um, <clears throat> but actually kind of, if if there is a difference, what are the kind of distinctives of each and how, and how can our approach differ in terms of how we, how we support people? Yeah, you're right. I, again, I often hear the, the words used interchangeably. Um, if, if we're wanting to be really specific and correct around the the language bereavement really describes the uh the period um if you like around uh a death and uh, grief is really about the related emotions um associated with a loss and so we recognize that you know there are lots of losses in life there might be loss of jobs breakup of relationships um you know friendships breaking up so there can be a, a wide spectrum uh, of losses that that grief is associated with and certainly from the perspective of of the work the the great work that you guys are doing particularly around the area of, of mental health we would always say that uh, bereavement is is not uh, a mental ill health yeah. um, issue but certainly if if we're not given the space and allowed to grieve in healthy ways, that it can lead to um, more uh, complex issues uh, yeah. around mental ill health. And that's that's certainly something uh, that I, I learned from myself quite early in ministry, actually, mm -hmm. um, and why I, I kind of embarked on this journey to do more around uh, this area of, of bereavement um when I was you know I was faced uh with my first funeral for an 11 year old boy um who died of, of leukemia mm. and just realized that as a minister I was very ill prepared for uh, the impact on my own mental health uh, but also how to more effectively support a a family that was grieving for their their son and so uh, I, yeah, I realized at that point that I, I needed to do more work myself. And that's where this journey started uh, for me. Thank you. That's it's so interesting. And I think it's it's really important to to kind of reemphasize that point that that actually grief isn't a mental illness. Um, it might feel like it sometimes. I've heard grief described, um, you know, people describing that when they were grieving, they felt like they were going mad because it Absolutely. it disrupts 
pretty much everything. Um, but grief is, is, is a natural, normal part of life. Um, and sometimes I think in our, in our desire to, to be really inclusive and talk more about mental health, we've, we've kind of gone a bit to the other way sometimes, haven't we? And we've kind of pathologized stuff that actually is, is natural and, and really healthy. And I think grieving is one of those things. And I think, yeah, definitely. Yeah. No, I was, I was just going to say, uh, uh, agreeing with you again, the, the reality is there's a really helpful um, image actually called the, the whirlpool of, of grief that, that you can Google. And it, essentially it's of someone rowing in a boat, you know, life is, is normal. Um, and then they're faced with the death of a loved one and, and, you know, the boat kind of goes over the edge of this, of this waterfall. And, um, that, that individual is kind of having to grapple with all of the associated issues around grief and, and loss and having to come to terms with the fact that someone who, who was there and part of their life is no longer there. And so it's very often a kind of real roller coaster of emotions. And that's certainly something that I experienced personally. Mm. Um, that, you know, the recognition that you can feel as if even as a Christian, you know, the, the, the rug's just kind of been pulled from underneath your feet. You don't, you're not sure which way is up. Um, there might be really happy memories that you have of an individual. So you find yourself smiling and laughing and then at other points you're just bursting into tears and you don't know what that is about um but i really believe that that god has given us all of these emotions and all of them all of the mechanisms as well yeah. to be able to cope with um these issues around uh around loss and grief um but yeah my experience is that that works best in community um, so alongside other people mm. um, so yeah yeah that's certainly my experience and sort of in in in, in the research and reading I've done uh, around grief over the last sort of, um, few years there's it seems that kind of culturally um, there's a real lack of connection in the way um, the British, that kind of stiff, dipper, stiff upper lip is is processed. So you kind of, you talk about that, that kind of having that open door policy almost, and there are being streams of people around you and that, that real sense of community. And actually the thing you need most in grief is connection. Um, and yet it, because it is such a, a lonely and an isolating time, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the first thing that I would say is that everybody's um, experience of grief will be unique to them. It's it's as unique as as our our fingerprints or our, our eye color. Um, everybody experiences grief differently. Um, but yeah, what I what I would say, uh, and we've talked a lot. In fact, um, we talk a lot as an organisation about issues around death and bereavement being one of the last great taboos because we we tend to shy away from conversations around death and and um you know we we often feel that that's a large part of of the problem actually within our our communities that we we don't have healthy conversations or enough healthy conversations uh, about death and 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 that kind of stiff upper lip thing 
um, that you described um, is is something that we we recognise probably comes out of the uh, the Second World War and the recognition that the recovery meant that you know people couldn't spend time um, you know crying in the streets and and losing it that people had to just hold themselves together and get on with it. Uh, and so there is something I think that is related in terms of that attitude of, of the stiff upper lip. Um, but there have been, you know, some encouraging signs. Uh, so uh, Prince Harry's talked a lot in the last few years uh, about the death of, of his mom and the impact on his mental health. Rio Ferdinand, the Man United and England, ex-Man United and England footballer, talked about the death of his wife and experience of, of bringing up a young family. Um, and and last year the, the the death of the queen and just the 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 outpouring of grief um, for me very reminiscent of the death of uh, Princess Diana and um, that triggered and seemed to trigger lots of emotions for people who who may not have processed um, grief from lots of years ago. Uh, but recognised, seeing the pictures on the news, hearing the stories, uh, that they also um, needed to think about processing, uh, processing their own grief. And we've heard so much about death uh, around the pandemic, and and perhaps experienced, um, you know, so much around bereavement. So within our own church context, um, you know, we've had multiple funerals. Um, we're in a period now where we're looking forward to celebrating uh, the 75th anniversary of, of Windrush coming up in June. Mm. Uh, but, you know, many uh, members of the Windrush uh, generation are now um, passing on. And that has significant implications for us as an African-Caribbean community. Mm. And... Um, yeah, so lots, lots for us to reflect on, but but really, from my perspective, pointing to why uh, this work on grief and bereavement is is so important and a huge missional opportunity, we would say, for uh, for churches and Christian organisations to engage in. Definitely, and I think I think the death of the Queen was was almost particularly. I, th- I think it was always going to be poignant and and grief filled because she's the you know the our longest um reigning monarch but I think kind of coming off the back of the pandemic um yeah. and that that sense that almost we all as soon as we had freedoms again we all just wanted to get back to normal whatever that looked yeah. like yeah. Um, yeah and the queen's death almost forced everybody to realize that we, we there was no back going back um yeah. everything had changed you know throughout yeah. the pandemic the inequalities that exposed yeah. our lives the years that were lost um yeah. there are, i think there's a lot around um again particularly in the pandemic that people felt they couldn't be sad about missing a wedding when people yeah. were losing loved ones yeah. and that, that yeah. kind of idea that actually loss is is loss yes the, the yeah. impact is different um yeah. but the pain is no less real and i think that that was a real Real learn a real learning point, I guess, for for everybody to kind of get to grips with that in in a way that we because we just ignore we we kind of just try avoid thinking about death until it hits us in the face. Really, I guess, don't we? We we're not used to it being a part of life. 
Yeah, it, it you know it is it is one of those subjects that I think we we tend to try and avoid and shy away from. Um, uh, and I know uh, again culturally, some communities will feel that you know you shouldn't you shouldn't talk about death at all. Um, and from my perspective, talking ad- about death helps us to prepare better. Um, and to recognize so there's there's been a a lot over the last few months uh, about people talking about actually including it within our school curriculums for our children our young people um, to get to grips with the language around death and and bereavement and and using you know age-appropriate terms but recognizing that we often talk about uh, these issues for our our older uh, communities but there are lots of young people and children around who experience a whole spectrum of losses through the pandemic including the deaths of you know whether it was parents grandparents uh, uh, and other loved ones alongside losing out on their education um, you know what it meant in terms of their careers so there's there's a whole uh, spectrum as as you rightly said uh, associated with uh, with losses um, and it was really was really interesting for us over you know that period of the Queen's death regardless of how people feel about the monarchy there was clearly um, lots of triggers for people um, so we we run a, a program called the bereavement journey that um, any bereaved person can access mm-hmm. and we have people coming to that program who had been bereaved 30, 40 years ago and hadn't had an opportunity to process um, that that grief, that loss. And so we're coming to the bereavement journey to, to just help talk through and unpack, you know, how they could um, continue to journey because we don't, we don't get over um, death, you know, we don't get over that bereavement. It, it will be with us for the rest of our lives. Um, but what we encourage people to think about is that life can continue to grow uh, around that that loss. That but that individual will always uh, be with us, and that's certainly my experience. With uh, my my grandmother died in um, uh, 2021, mm. and uh, so you know we as a family were having to to grapple with what it meant to lose someone uh, during that that period of the pandemic so yeah lot, lots of losses but certainly from a Christian perspective we would always talk about the hope that's in that um, you know and the recognition that there are really some um, some practical things that we can equip people with to help them breathe in in healthy ways yeah and I think it's it's really important that we we equip the church because actually I think there's there can be this misunderstanding and I think it often kind of stems from that verse in two Thessalonians that says do not grieve like those without hope um but what we do as we do with a lot of verses is we miss out the end we kind of hear it as this command not to grieve Um, where actually it's not saying don't grieve it's saying grieve differently absolutely um And I guess that's that's part of what the the bereavement friendly church um, is is trying to do. Can you tell us a little bit a little bit more about that? 
Yeah, again, you know, we, we know that Jesus himself grieved at the death of his friend, um, Lazarus. And, you know, he, he is a man who was moved by emotion. And so from my perspective, again, just, um, just to add to, to what you've said, the recognition as Christians that, that we shouldn't grieve is, is something that, that we would say is not, not helpful. Um, and, and it's one of those myths that we try and address through our training with the bereavement friendly church. Um, so we, we talk about, you know, the, the reality of, of loss, uh, and bereavement and grief, um, what that looks like, what it means. Um, but also some of the things that we can think about in terms of our, our worship, our gatherings. Um, as churches to think about how we can support uh, bereaved people, um, some of the activities that we can um, put on to support bereaved people as well. So things like um, uh, grave, talk, uh, grave talk cafes um, are a reality, some things that, that churches do. Um, uh, uh, and also just recognising that you know, it can be a whole range of things that uh, can be done to meet the needs of people pastorally mm. um, that don't need to necessarily be an, a new massive program. We certainly wouldn't want to take away from the lots of informal uh, pastoral care that's already done, the phone calls, the messages, the just reaching out, as, you know, we often just do yeah. uh, as, as uh, followers of Jesus. But just appreciating that amongst all of that, some of the challenges that there may be for a person who is bereaved to actually come to church and, and why that might be, what it looks like and, and how we might be able to support someone uh, through that. So it is, it is a whole range of things. It's just a snapshot in a two and a half hour session, uh, yeah. but we find that it's a really helpful starting point and churches that that come on to uh, that session so we run them uh, monthly as webinars um, so anybody can list who's listening can log on to the lostandhope.org uh, website to find out more um, and what we find is that churches will then often go on to run the bereavement journey uh, program within their local context and uh, and find that that's helpful for for themselves and for their congregations but also for the wider communities amazing and and we'll we'll pop um those links in in the show notes as well so that people can can check it out for themselves and and i guess as as we kind of draw draw things to a close what are what if any are things are there kind of certain things that we really should do to support the bereavement the bereaved um and perhaps some things that we should should avoid are there are there any things that stick out to you i guess so um yeah my my favorite scripture in in relation to this is in uh, job chapter two and it's it's just a few verses from 11 through verse 13 and um you may know the story of Job your, your listeners may know that um, there, there's a day that comes when Job who is the central character in the story experiences lots of losses um, his his children 
uh, die in, in quite traumatic circumstances. Um, all of his wealth is taken away and even his own health starts to suffer. Mm. Uh, but he have, has three friends. And I, I realized um, reading the story in, in more recent years, how important um, some of the things that his three friends, um, uh, the, the actions that they took. Firstly, they gathered. Um, and they, they, they made a plan for how they were going to support Job after what they'd heard. And I think we can do that as churches and as, as Christians together. Um, you know, we can train, we can uh, plan, we can think about the things that we can do. Secondly, it talks about the mm -hmm. fact that actually uh, when they arrived on the scene, they couldn't even recognize Job. Um, but they grieved alongside him. You know, it talks about the fact that they tore their clothes, they threw dust in the air, um, they expressed grief. And I, and I think that's a really important lesson for us in our churches. You know, um, this kind of stiff upper lip thing is not biblical. It's not something that we should, I think, promote in our churches. We need to also uh, think about the vulnerability that it's important to demonstrate. Mm. Um and then the, the third thing, and perhaps most important, is uh, the word tells us that they sat with Job. The three friends sat with Job for seven days, and they didn't say a word. And often uh, people will tell us when they're bereaved that they see people crossing the road because they don't know what to say, or mm. crossing the aisles of the church. And our encouragement is that what you have to say is actually less important than just listening and being present with someone who is is grieving for a, a loved one. And so those those three lessons I've found are really important and I'd encourage anybody to to go back to those those few verses and just have a look if they're unsure of the actions that that they can uh, they can take to support a bereaved person. That's that's so helpful. Thank you. And and thank you for, for so much for your time today and for joining us. Um, and as we said, um, we'll pop a link in the show notes to um, Lost and Hope and the, the Bereavement Friendly Church links. Um, but thank you so much for your time today. We really, really appreciate it. No problem. Thanks for having me, Rachel. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us at the Kintsugi Hope podcast. It's been great to have you with us. If you want to find out more about this amazing charity that creates safe and supportive spaces for those that are experiencing social isolation or poor mental health, then do check out the website kintsugihope.com. We'll see you on the next episode.